Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Good morning. Many of you know I spent a week with, uh, with my wife, with my mother in Michigan. My mother was very ill. I thank you for your prayers. She's doing better. And uh, again, thank you for the prayers that you made for us in that time and for her. We've been working through this past year on a commitment as a church to something we've called Love Bloomington. And it's been an effort for us to turn our attention to our neighbors and to those around us and to be active in telling them about Jesus Christ to be active in uh, confessing before the people around us that we are Christians, that we believe on Jesus. And the goal was that the formal part of this endeavor would end on Easter of 2016. Isn't that right? So we're coming close to the end of the time frame that we had for this endeavor. Now, of course, we don't ever want to stop our work in loving Bloomington, let me ask you, how many of you have thought and can actually point to something that you've done in in these last 10 months that you did toward the people around you in order to confess Christ to them that you were helped along by by your commitment to love Bloomington? Was that too difficult a sentence? (laughs) Let me add a few more clauses. Okay, so how many of you? So the work has been helped by the fact that we've been reminding ourselves, and I think that's one of the successes. We've had some successes and some failures, but we wouldn't have any failures if we didn't have any goal or any intention, would we? And so I'm thankful to God that we have had some successes, and we can look to things in our lives that have been changed because of that commitment. Well, what we're going to do now for the next three weeks is we're going to have three services that are going to, again, focus, on, focus us on that commitment, hopefully to help us as we come into the time for Easter so that we'll all be, again, recalibrated to coming to Easter with the goal of telling people about Jesus, but also um, to kind of prepare us for a time where we'll uh, turn this, whatever it will become, it may not be called Love Bloomington after Easter, but whatever it will become, we want it to be part of our DNA, right? So we want to have reminders that go with us and constantly help us in this matter. So the next three Sundays, this Sunday and two more, we'll be preaching, and the themes are faith, hope, and love, which are themes from the scripture that are foundational. They are uh, systemic, vital to Christianity, faith, hope, and love. And they're certainly vital to us being able to communicate to others our love of Jesus and who Jesus is and what he has done and why he has done it. And so this morning, we're going to hear about faith. And our our scripture, as you see in your bulletin, is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke, We also believe, therefore we also speak. And Paul, as he writes 
to the Corinthians is likely quoting here from Psalm 116 where the psalmist is talking about his great affliction and how he speaks to God. And so there's similarity because, as we'll see in a minute, Paul is going through a lot of affliction because of his preaching of the gospel. But he goes on to say that his speaking isn't simply his speaking to God, but it's actually his proclamation of Jesus Christ to the people around him. And these, this verse comes in that context, a long passage where Paul is describing his work as a preacher of the gospel. And so I'm going to go quickly through two chapters a little bit more to set us up for what we're going to see from the chapters, okay? Just quickly through, I won't even read all the verses, but I'll read a lot of them, and they're going to be on the screen so you can follow along. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, starting at verse 14. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one an aroma from death to death and to the other an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? Now that's an important word, that word adequate. I want you to remember that because we're going to talk about that more as we come. So Paul is saying, look, we preach Jesus Christ. We tell people about Jesus Christ and we're like an aroma. Now there are different kinds of aromas, right? But what Paul's saying is we're one kind of, a, we're just one aroma, but some people smell us differently than other people. Some people scent, sense some different smell than other people scent. And it's because of the condition of their hearts. Some people smell a wonderful fragrance that is the fragrance of life, and other people smell what you smell when you drive down the road and there's that four-day-old possum. Do you understand? And it's because their hearts are wicked and they have not submitted themselves to God, and so what they smell is death. That's what they smell. And Paul says, this is what we're like in the world as we tell people about Jesus Christ. And then in verse 17, he says, we're not like many, peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. So we're not peddling, which means we're not, we don't have it for sale. I was wondering this morning in the first service if a peddler is somebody that is, is, a, is a word or a person that we don't understand what that means anymore. You know, we have to go on and look it up on something, right? A peddler is just somebody who's peddling something. They sell things. Right? Uh, what is it? These uh, Everybody on Etsy is a peddler. Right? Did I say the word right, Etsy? Okay. I'm kind of old. So he says, we're not like peddlers. We're not selling Jesus. Going on to verse 5. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, But our adequacy is from God, who made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter but of the Spirit, for the letter kills but the Spirit gives life. So here we have that theme of adequacy again. We're not adequate in ourselves. God makes us adequate because we have the covenant, the new covenant, through Jesus Christ. The ministry, if the ministry of death and letters engraved on stones, now what are the letters engraved on stones? That's the Ten Commandments. Why is it the ministry of death? Because the law comes into contact with our sin 
and kills us. We have a problem. Whenever we're confronted with the law, our sin hits the law and death. And so it's death. The Ten Commandments bring death to us because they're not able They're not able to deal with our sin. They're only able to show it to us, okay, and to compound its wickedness by seeing it. So if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory on his face, fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? So Moses went up and he received the Ten Commandments. And when he came down from talking with the Lord, he was shining, literally. Phosphorescent. I don't know. He, was, he had something that everybody could see. And it was something that actually terrified them. So he covered up his face. And he also didn't want them to see as it faded away that it was leaving. Right? And so this is the glory that Moses has, but Paul is saying, won't the ministry of of the Spirit be even more with glory? If the ministry of condemnation has glory, the law that kills us, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case is no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. In other words, the work of Jesus Christ and the ministry of righteousness just leaves the glory that Moses knew in the dust. Far surpasses it. And this glory, verse 11, remains. Therefore, verse 12, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. We're not like Moses who put a veil over his face so that they would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. And then he talks about the minds of the Israelites, how they were hardened and remained hardened until this very time because of that veil. They're not seeing through the veil because the veil can only be removed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So whenever Moses is read, verse 15, the veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. But the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. So you're going to see more in the next chapter, but you had Moses, he goes up, he sees God, he has the glory of God on him, and what Paul is saying is, okay, that was one thing, and that was good, that was amazing, but that was the ministry of of the law. How much more when we go and we behold Jesus Christ through the ministry of of the grace of God through Jesus Christ, how much more will we have that glory on us? And so the Holy Spirit gives it to us and it increases and it increases because we are looking more like Jesus. We are we have more of the resting of the of the of the light of Christ upon us. And I don't mean that, you know, we glow in the dark. I mean that people see that it's evident that we live in the rest of Jesus Christ, in the presence of Jesus Christ, without all of the weight and baggage that everybody else carries outside of that rest. We live in a rest. We live with glory. 
because the Holy Spirit lives in us and we keep seeing Christ and he keeps changing us and there's more glory and there's more glory. And this is what people see. And so in, in chapter 14, he says, we have this ministry, we don't lose heart, we renounce hidden things. Even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they won't see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They can't see it, just like they can't smell the sweet fragrance that the messengers bring. They can't see the light either. For we do not preach ourselves... We're going to come back to that theme. We do not preach ourselves, but we preach Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels in us. We have this in us. So that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. And then Paul talks about his afflictions. I'm afflicted. I'm crushed. I'm persecuted. I'm struck down. But he also talks about how how God carries him through it. He says, I'm I'm, uh, not crushed. I'm afflicted, but I'm not crushed. I'm perplexed, I'm not despairing. I'm not forsaken, I'm not destroyed. And though I carry around in me the body of Christ's death, his life is manifested in me as well because I have the glory of Christ on me. And now we get up to our verse, verse 13. Is it up there? But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke, we also believe Therefore, we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. So he has uh, a prompting. Because of all of this, he has a prompting to speak to people about Jesus Christ. He has seen Jesus. He has the glory of Jesus manifest on him. And he's prompted to speak. But he doesn't, he doesn't preach himself, because if he preached himself, then the hearers would not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ and know who God was. He can't preach himself and do that. But do you suppose he could have? I mean, have there been men throughout history who have preached themselves? Right? There have been, right? There have been thousands and hundreds of thousands of men who have preached themselves and have gotten great followings by preaching themselves. And the great followings, have they known? Have they known the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ? No. They were never, Christ was never preached to them. They could not know the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. They would not be able to see Christ and know him and know his salvation. But many men did preach themselves and Paul possibly could have preached himself and you and I could preach ourselves, couldn't we? I mean, we could make it about us 
And you know, I'm going to tell you that we often do, right? Did you see that coming? Okay. We often make it about ourselves. And so what if this were true? And what if we were prompted not by the work of God in our hearts, but prompted by the sense of our own adequacy? What would, our, what would our preaching be? What would it sound like? What would it look like to others? Well, if we were actually going to bring Jesus into the message, it might be something like this. Jesus is what you need. Come to Jesus because, after all, what? I'm intelligent. Now, I'm not asking you to think I'm intelligent personally. I'm talking about you, right? Come to Jesus because I'm intelligent. I'm smart. A lot of the high school students have just taken their PSAT tests, right? And so they're comparing their scores, right? Okay. I have a high PSAT score. Come to Jesus. You should see my IQ. Come to Jesus. Give me any word and I can tell you where it comes from in the Latin. Come to Jesus. Doesn't this make Jesus appealing to you? What about Jesus is all you need. Come to Jesus after all because I'm right. I'm right. I'm accurate 99.87% of the time. I know more about what you think you know about than you'll ever know. Come to Jesus because I'm right. Doesn't this make Jesus appealing to you, the fact that I'm right? Now, are you guys flowing with this? Come on. You know what prompts you to talk to people sometimes? You're right. You're smart. I'm right. I'm smart. Come to Jesus because, after all, I'm important. I have quite a pedigree. I've been educated by the right people. People who get to sit next to me at banquets feel good about themselves. Come to Jesus because I'm important. If we preach ourselves, doesn't that make you want to come to Jesus? Come to Jesus because I'm better. I'm cleaner, you know. I'm just clean. I'm a clean machine. My family only eats non-GMO organic. The only probiotic we use is improved ProBio 5000, made with primordial bacteria from the Peruvian rainforest. We send our children to Lighthouse, and then when they get home, Lighthouse is a Christian school, but if you don't know in the community... After our children get home from Lighthouse, I sit them down and we teach them the trivium at home where they learn proper grammar and logic and rhetoric. Interestingly, you know, there's an American thrash band called the trivium. Doesn't this make Jesus appealing to you? That I know what the trivium is? Come to Jesus because 
After all, I'm one of the beautiful people. I'm cool, I'm hip, I'm boss, I'm Joe, I'm with it, I'm trendy, I'm fashionable. You know, I don't know what the, the newest words are. Come to Jesus. Doesn't that make Jesus appealing to you? Now, I'm not talking about me, look. But we're, we're cool, aren't we? We're trendy. We are not to be prompted to speak by faith in our own adequacy. If we are adequate for anything, it certainly isn't before God. And it certainly isn't that we have some adequacy in ourselves to be the one who tells people about Jesus. We need something else. We need a different kind of foundation that starts with our inadequacy. The Spirit of God can make us adequate as we all with unveiled faces behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord and are transformed into the same image from glory to glory. But for this to happen, we must see Jesus and there must be some kind of transformation that allows us and causes us to have adequacy. And that transformation includes seeing Jesus, and as a result of seeing Jesus, we have the right understanding of ourselves. When you see Jesus, you see yourself. Because when you understand the glory of God, you realize that you have fallen short of it. And that's what you're beholding, the glory of God. And so it starts with our, our trek into humility. And so J.C. Ryle says this about the passage, let us clearly understand, J.C. Ryle is a uh, theologian pastor dead for a long time. If you don't know who he is, that's who he is. Let us clearly understand that humility, like St. Paul's, was not a peculiar characteristic of the great apostle of the Gentiles. That's what Paul is known as, the apostle of the Gentiles. On the contrary, it is one leading mark of all the most eminent saints of God in every age. The more real grace men have in their hearts, the deeper is their sense of sin. The more light the Holy Spirit pours into their souls the more do they discern their own infirmities, defilements, and darkness. The dead soul feels and sees nothing. With life comes clear vision, a tender conscience, and spiritual sensibility. Observe what lowly expressions Abraham and Jacob and Job and David and John the Baptist use about themselves. And then he says, study some other guys from church history and see how they talk about themselves. And then he says, how one, mark how one common feature of character belongs to them all, a very deep sense of sin. Superficial and shallow professors, in the warmth of their first love, may talk, if they will, of perfection. The great saints in every era of church history, from St. Paul down to this day, have always been clothed with humility. And so you have Moses, and he's the one 
that the passage talks about who sees the glory of God and has the first evidence of the, of the shining on his body that people see, right? And Moses, what does it say about him in Numbers chapter 12? It says, the man Moses was very humble more than any man who was on the face of the earth. This was Moses. He was humble. And what did it say God thought about Moses? This is what God says. He says this to Aaron and Miriam at one point, Moses' brother and sister. He says, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I the Lord shall make myself known to him in a vision. I will speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly, and not in dark sayings. And he beholds the form of the Lord. That's Moses. He's the one that's the first to have upon him registered the glory of God as he receives the law, as he's the administrator of that covenant. Adequacy comes from humility. Adequacy comes from humility. Three years ago, I attended the National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville, Kentucky, and I went with the only person that would probably go to that, and that's Mike Bowles back here. And people were there with walking sticks with beads, the colors of the wordless Bible, you know, those bright primary color wordless Bible colors that they use. You guys, anybody know what the wordless Bible is? It's a way to talk about Jesus with colors, right? Every color represents some attribute of Jesus and some work that he has done or some truth about ourselves. And so they all had these, uh, these farmers walking around with these walking sticks with these beads with the colors on top, and they were primary colors, and I knew it was the wordless Bible because, and that would be good for farmers too because um, pr- tractors are all primary colors. You never see a salmon tractor, right? <laughs> and so I started looking for the booth where these sticks were originating to find out who was giving them away, what was going on. And, you know, this place is huge. After about four hours, we came to shuttle bay number 10, and there was a a booth there where these guys were talking to the farmers. And who was it that was there talking to the farmers with with the walking sticks, with the beads? Who was talking to them? Was it um, Reformed pastors and, and Reformed seminary students? Who do you think was there talking to them? Old farmers with leather-like skin from being out in the sun. And they're, and they're walking through these beads on the stick, telling people about Jesus and what each of these things represents. And as a, as a gift, if you listen to them, you got to keep the walking stick. And forever you carried with you the memory of those men telling you about Jesus, right? Well, what if, what if it had been good Reformed pastors and Reformed seminary students, what would the walking stick, what would the beads have looked like? Well, I'm telling you. All right, it would look like a, a, one of the Sherwin-Williams paint wheels. Because, you know, they'd have so many more important points that they'd have to make, right? But no. They were just humble men 
And they were telling people about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. Would you stand here for a minute? I want to tell you about somebody that's important to me. And I want him to be important to you. They had humility, and therefore, they had true adequacy. Because their adequacy was from God. But God actually condemns us for having adequacy in ourselves. And so when he writes to the church of Laodicea in Revelation 3, he says, because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I want to spit you out, is what he says. He said, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. You're not adequate at all. You're self-deceived. Come to me to get adequacy. Come to me and depend on me for what you need. But adequacy comes from humility. And all the while we're fighting with our own sins and our own desires to preach ourselves instead of preaching Jesus, we're also carrying all of our own infirmities and difficulties. We're tired. We have sickness. We have limited understanding. We have the litany of our past failures in front of us, years of double-mindedness, missed opportunities, ungodly decisions children that God has given us that have grown up and perfectly exposed our sins in their actions, right? Despite all the help we get from Dave Ramsey, we have financial problems. And we have general feelings of just complete inadequacy. What in the world am I doing? Right? We have a lack of courage, We have a lack of gifting. You think about Moses saying, I don't have good speech, God. I can't do this for you. I don't have good speech. We have sorrow over our sin. And if all that isn't bad enough, and you don't feel all these weaknesses well enough personally most of the time, some helpful person is going to come along who's more than willing to point out that you are quite sinful and inadequate. Right? Right? that's how nice we are to each other. And what? In all of that weakness and in all of our sin, God can make us adequate. In fact, that's the way he wants to do it. He wants it to be unquestionably his work and not ours. He wants to be strong in all of the weakness that we have. And that's his way. And his ways are right. And his dispensations are good. Seeing the glory of God in the face of Christ can bring about such adequacy in our lives to be a confessor, a professor, a witness to Jesus. So I want to take a minute and focus on Jesus. And I'm going to read a few scriptures as I close. It won't take very long. It's going to be a little like a fire hose, but I want want you to understand that 
I'm talking about Jesus, and what I want you to think for a minute is, how much do you talk about Jesus? I mean, we all talk a lot about education. We all talk a lot about politics. We all talk a lot about food. We all talk a lot about, um, you know, construction techniques. We talk a lot about all kinds of things. And we might even talk about them with a kind of a religious flavor, you know. We're kind of... It's really evil to eat growth-modified organisms or whatever, right? So we have that kind of religious flavor. But that stuff is all easy. It's so easy. It's so easy to talk about all of that stuff. It's simple. I mean, that's nothing difficult about that at all. But when you talk about Jesus, it's a different thing. Because to talk about Jesus and to demonstrate affection for him, guess what you have to have? a knowledge of him and affection for him. And that's much more difficult because that's something we maintain by looking at his glory and by submitting ourselves to the ministry of his Holy Spirit. And so sometimes when we get around people who who have affection for him because they have a knowledge of him and a closeness to him, we feel a little uncomfortable. We think, would you stop talking about Jesus like that? Let's talk about Jesus through the, right, through the right channel. Let's talk about Jesus through politics. Let's talk about Jesus through Donald Trump. But you're just talking about Jesus like he's just somebody in and of himself. And that's, where we, that's what we're supposed to be staring at, you see? He's the one we're supposed to be staring at. And so God says in Philippians, okay, fire hose time. Philippians 2, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming, becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross. Okay, so what did he do? There's a whole lot there. He is God. He, he didn't grasp at his rightful equality, but he humbled himself, submitted himself, became obedient for our sake, even obedient to the point that he died for us. That's a big whole lot right there. You can just look at that for a long time. You just spend some time just looking at that. But that's not where it ends in Philippians. And it says, For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's pretty complete. We're talking macro. The whole shebang. Everybody. There's a whole other thing you can stare at. God has given him the name above every name, and everything is submitted to him. And there's going to be a time when every creature in heaven and on earth will bow their knees to him. Who cares about Donald Trump? This is Jesus. You see? God the Father has an agenda. He's a Jesus promoter. And he has an expectation 
that we'll be Jesus promoters and that our faith will be manifest in the fact that we shine because we've looked at Jesus and we're all about Jesus and people can't help but know that we know Jesus. You see? And we're afraid we're going to sound like the Gaithers. Well, if that's what it takes, hum Gaither tunes. They talk about Jesus a lot. What might we say to Bloomington? What glory might our friends and neighbors see on our faces? All right, now, here's the rest of the fire hose, and I'm not really going to comment on this, but you're going to hear, okay? Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's an awful lot to look at there. John 1.29. The next day he, that is John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming to him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. John 1.3 All things came into being through him and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. Pretty big. Pretty big stuff. Something you can talk about. Something you can look at. Isaiah 9, 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. A lot to look at there. John 1.17, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. John 3, 17. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. He who stares at him by the power of the Holy Spirit and has the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ shining in his heart is he who believes in him and who is not judged. I'm sorry, I said I wasn't going to comment, but I did. Mark 1.22, they were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. 1 Timothy 1.15, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. John eleven, twenty five, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. 
he who believes in me will live even if he dies. And then when you close up the book, you get to the end and you're at Revelation 21, what does it say? It says, I saw no temple there in the New Jerusalem. For the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. Jesus is the Lamb. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. And that's the very light we're supposed to be looking at. You see? That eternally there won't be any need of the sun because we will have the light of Christ present. He, he will illumine the city. And so what? I said it was a fire hose. Let me tell you, I thought of those verses in a minute. And I didn't have to go do a, a, a comprehensive search of all the Bible. Do you think you could find a couple more verses in the Bible that says something about Jesus that would throw you into the world of the light of who he is and his glory? And in that context, you and I might have the ability to confess something to the world around us that is good and life-saving and soul-saving, right? We'll be adequate. We'll be adequate. And so as we continue to think about how we'll pray for and speak to and love the people around us and how we prepare our hearts for that. Let's focus on the faith that allows us to speak from the adequacy God gives us and say, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. Know him. Know him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You have been kind to us in that you have many, many times allowed us to see the glory, the glory of yourself in the face of your Son by your Holy Spirit. And we pray this morning that as we hear from your word, that we will be provoked and convicted and disciplined and uh, encouraged and propelled to look again and again and again at the face of Christ and that we will be as a result useful to you by becoming a light in this world by becoming a fragrance of life to those who will have life and by making Jesus famous as you have declared he would be and as you will see to it that he will be. Father, help us, we pray. Thank you for your goodness and kindness to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.